0: Hi, everyone. I'm Emily Portney, Bank of New York Mellon's Chief Financial Officer. Welcome to Bank of New York Mellon Perspectives. I'm so excited to be joined today by Megan Smith, an award-winning entrepreneur, engineer, and renowned leader in technology. Megan Smith is a CEO of Shift7, which is an innovative, advanced tech startup that is helping find solutions to some of the world's most challenging social, environmental, and economic problems. She served as the third-ever U.S. Chief Technology Officer from 2014 to 2017, where she helped to accelerate tech transformation at the highest level of government. While in the White House, Megan really made strides in recruiting top-tier, diverse talent to serve alongside her. Before this, she spent 11 years as vice president at Google, leading new business development, and later, at Google X, so she has a wealth of private and public sector expertise and a really unique set of leadership experiences. With trust and innovation really at the heart of everything we do at Bank of New York Mellon, we wanted to engage one of the foremost leaders on the future of advanced sciences and technology. It was such a privilege to speak with Megan about where innovation is heading, especially during Women's History Month. We got to hear how she got her start in technology and some of the amazing women who have inspired her along the way. We also looked at ways to break down some of the barriers to entry by women and other historically underrepresented groups to help make the tech ecosystem much more diverse and inclusive. We hope you enjoy hearing my conversation with Megan as much as I have enjoyed having it. So why don't we start, Megan? First of all, thank you so much for joining us today. You've had such an illustrious career, but maybe let's just go back to the very beginning. What first got you interested in science and technology? Was it maybe a role model
1: you had? Emily, it's great to be with you. And uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing. I was lucky, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and we had a lot of environmental challenges, we had many challenges, but our river was on fire, like Cleveland. Uh, and we had, you know, it's sort of the days of the energy crisis. Jimmy Carter was president. He was putting solar panels on the White House. And uh, our, you know, interested in public school, our teachers were amazing. We didn't have any money. But they, uh, they, uh, they made mandatory science fair. And the reason why that has such impact is because we have a lot of bias about who does what subjects, Right. And so naturally kids kind of start dividing in middle school and in high school, you know, oh, STEM is more for the boys and a few girls. And for me, it was the requirement to come up with something that I wanted to explore. And for me, because of the sort of solar and environmental issues of the day, uh, and my mom had actually st- uh, on the first Earth Day had organized uh, bike, bike things and started the bike club for Western New York. And so had some of those thinking in our family, That th- that thinking. I did all my projects, my first ones on solar, then wind, phase change storage, all these things to make impact. And the number one experience, you know, if you think about it, I, I got to be a swimmer uh in college and my coach used to say practice makes permanent. <laughs> right. And so what you, I like do, that. you do, what you do is yeah. So if you can have all the children required to do science fair, you know, science is not the facts that you learn, it's really an experience of trying to discover and failure and iteration and you know the the scientific method experience, and so we got to have that, and so I'm very thankful to you know those teachers who made that of, uh, an experience for all of us because it really builds your confidence. And suddenly you're like, oh, oh, this, mm-hmm. this is useful, this is important, this is uh, matters. You could make change, um, and 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 bring impact forward. And you know I could do it. You know, which is really amazing for kids. So that was my my experience, and so I learned what I was doing was engineering. Uh, and so that's why, why I headed towards engineering school. By the way, what was your project back then? What was that first science fair project? Yeah, my first one to, was to make a, a model of a house that was fully renewable using Oh wow! Yeah, solar, solar and storage and other things. And then the next year I made the collector work. Uh, and actually, uh, then uh, the next year I worked on phase change storage, you know, like storing in the melts of a material. Like, you know how uh, if you put stuff into a cooler? the ice yeah, and yeah. water stay at at thirty two degrees F. Well, you could have a material like lobber salts or other things that's around room temperature. And if you melt it in the sun during the day, and it's in your ceiling or in your wall, you can uh, then have it heat your house. So lots that's of incredible like windmills, <laughs> we did solar distillers. Like I just got to do all these different projects. It was incredibly fun. And you know, the main thing was that our teachers really encouraged us. The other thing they did was they made us do lecture demonstration which is where you have to actually uh-huh. present your project in front of a panel of judges, which is, you know, like, like just this experience of ask, answering questions. And it, it is practice makes permanent. It was so fun to do the science fair with President Obama and see that, you know, that continuing. Uh, I can imagine. Favorite uh, groups. You know, I love all of them, but especially the littlest ones. And you know, we had a, a group of children from um, Oklahoma who had made a page turning robot to help people with disabilities. And they're in kindergarten and first grade. They're dressed in capes. It's a bunch of little girls from Girl Scouts. And they've learned that technology is for the purpose of service, ingenuity, engineering. He asked them, how'd you do this? They said, we had a brainstorming. And really? (laughs) And then what'd you do? We made some prototypes. I mean, imagine the confidence we would all have if just like learning to write a sentence, you learn to co-create with your friends, wear capes, have fun, and that Innovation and service through STEM was done as a team sport. um, That's just incredible. Yeah, really wonderful. So I was lucky to have those kinds of experiences, which built my confidence. Truly amazing and and inspirational. Um,
0: So over the course of the pandemic, you know, technology has obviously enabled many businesses like ours to keep going through, obviously, what were really unprecedented times, uh, it forced us to, you know, reevaluate the technology that we we use to, for, you know, for efficiency purposes, but also just for business as usual purposes. And I got to see certainly firsthand, you know, the acceleration in, in also clients' digital journeys. So how, how do you think about how companies can embrace
1: what they've learned through the pandemic? Yeah, I, th- I think one of the key things is this idea of like rapid digital integration. Right?, uh, how are we which, which happened to so many of us it happened to, to our children uh, in video school and, and virtual. How can we use these technologies to, you know we're connected at the speed of light? you know how how can we use these technologies to better interact with each other? It's hard because interpersonal communication is better in person, just is. But uh, y- you can use this as we all learned. The thing that I think is very important, as we do this, is to not narrow the scope of who's in the room, uh, but actually broaden the scope of who's in the room. Really, design thinking uh, is one of the greatest capabilities that you can bring forward. It's really what those kids were doing, right? With their prototyping and brainstorming, they're collaborating together to notice a problem, iterate on it, uh, you know, come up with prototypes, and then you know, try to ship those. the The, the collect, collective genius comes from broadening that team that's going to be participating. And so making sure to include folks and then being really smart. You know, we've lost so many women uh, from the workforce through the Mm. pandemic. So what is it that we can do, not only with rapid digital integration of technologies, but new ways of of organizing ourselves that are more family friendly um, and and just take into account people's whole lives because we need everyone at the table.
0: I mean, perfectly said. Um, you have a background in the startup and fintech world. And as you know, here at Bank of New York Mellon, we're really proud of our collaboration uh, with the fintech world as well. Uh, could you talk a little bit about your experience with collaboration as a native to the tech world and, and just give your personal advice to, you know, any any startup founders that might be listening and how they can scale up and grow their platform?
1: Yeah, it's, it's uh one of the greatest things you can do, I uh, read Hoffman, a colleague of mine, founder of LinkedIn at uh, Greylock. He's always talking about smart generalists. So in those early days, really having that's quite flexible, trying to get teammates from many different sectors working together with you. But that that sort of capability of like very proactive colleagues is really helpful. People who are willing to step in and learn across the board. There's a lot of bias in tech, uh, you know. In, and especially, you know, you mentioned fintech, uh, certain technologies, AI, it was really shocking to do some of the work uh, on AI for the country. We did some of the early um, sort of what should the government planning be? President Obama has us to begin to look into that. We organized town halls, etc mm. When we came together as a government, uh, myself and another person who was there from the Office of Management and Budget were the only women uh, who, uh, who came from all of our agencies and very few uh people who weren't Caucasian. So, you know, why is AI so by, you know, sort of biased? Why is fintech more biased? And what can we do to make sure that our teams are actually broader? We know from research, Glassdoor actually recently put together a literature audit of all the many different research studies that have happened that have shown us diversity, equity, inclusion as a genius move, not only because it's the right thing to do, but on behalf of your bottom line, on behalf of creativity. So it turns out, the more diverse your team, both in its in people's lived experience, background, where they're coming from, um, as well as sort of topical uh, skills, you know, that do you have tech people, do you you also have lawyers, do you have, you know, operators, do you have people from community organizing these different groups? If you have that group coming together, you get more creativity, you get more profitability, you get more efficiency, um, revenue, et cetera. It's just a proven fact. And so those who are not managing for that, it's a little more uncomfortable because some of those different teammates have not worked together. We also have, you know, break, break the bias as part of the theme for uh, International Women's Day and Women's History Month. How do we notice the things that none of us created, but we inherit in terms of practices and odd things we think um, and and really excise those out of our, our teams as, as rapidly as we can? So as a startup founder, in fact, I... Yesterday, somebody, I think it was in a fintech area, posted their team, and it was a very imbalanced team. It was just one group. And someone else tweeted, you know, is this from The Onion? You know, <laughs> is this a joke? And I don't think the person realized. I really also- think that the CEO was very proud of this team, but I don't think he realized that he had actually done it created a very unbiased team. And so actually, the post was taken down. So I think he was excited and then actually embarrassed. And Interesting. Interesting. So- I mean, becoming the new normal—to uh, not ignore the truth about what it takes to build the best products, and and pay attention to that as you do that, your culture, everything.
0: And it's interesting how society is now doing a check. You know, with their, the, there's a check on 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 business leaders across all these fronts, which is really really interesting. So uh, you mentioned, of course, why we're here, which is Women's History Month. Um, And so I do want to spend a a bit more time on women's contributions to science and technology. As in other industries, you know, much work obviously remains to be done. How do we overcome historic barriers to entry in order to continue increasing female representation in tech
1: and related fields? You know, one of the things that I do a lot, there's many different things to do. Um, but since since we're talking about Women's History Month, I call it sometimes Women's Missing History Month. I don't know if you know about the Wiki Gap. All of us are responsible for the Wiki Gap. Uh, at the the editors in Wikipedia, you know, thank God for them. What a wonderful thing! Wikipedia is really such a great yes. demonstration of collective genius. And who knew that people would just take the beloved topics that they love and obsessively build the most incredible uh, encyclopedia for all of us by all of us because of bias in tech we find that 80% of the editors are men and 20% women and 80% of the pro ty- profiles on wikipedia are of men and 20% women i also find when i look at wikipedia um just bias in the language you know the women are more helping and the men are leading you, you see this in, in it and so what and it's it's again this is not blame we didn't create this all of us but we do inherit it and as we begin to see it we have to do things about it and so uh, as we can, we need to work on balancing history. You know, we're in, sometimes people say we're in the fourth industrial age. So <laughs> we, we think that some of the things that we're bringing to the table, you know, so AI is part of this industrial age, digitization, that this idea of AI for good, that this is, this is a new idea, right? It's not, a, we have self-driving cars. We know where every Amazon package is. And really it's a community organizing problem. We're not having colleagues from different sectors working on all of the problems. Uh, we're really dividing up the problems there. These ones are worthy of extremely, you know, capable tech. These are not, um, these are mm-hmm. not as worthy. We'll get to the tech later. The IT team is maybe even a, a contractor named Tony. You know, so so you know we 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 can change that behavior. And so I I bring the history one forward as it relates to this change making because most people don't know, for example, in the first industrial age, uh, you know, this is the time of Darwin. Darwin mm-hmm. writes of our past, origin of the species. And Ada Lovelace is the first person to suggest the idea of algorithms. And she writes the world's first algorithm. She's Lord mm-hmm. Byron's poet math daughter. And she says, you know, I think we can figure out the math of the mind, you know, the, oh. the rebrum, uh, the way we figured out the math of astronomy. And the planets and then she says literally i wish to bequeath to the generations a calculus of the nervous system wow amazing right but why do we know darwin and we don't know ada oh her wow and and uh so we must know these things because then we know that women belong in tech because we're the inventors of it you know from the founder we're the founder uh and, and then men and women worked together from that. And in fact, it was a great collaboration with Charles Babbage, who was the designing a mechanical computer in this. They were working together. You know, and at the same time also, you know, her father, Lord Byron, was married with Mary Shelley when mm-hmm. Mary wrote Frankenstein. And, wow. from, you know, industrial age question, should we raise the monster or not? Not, right. So, it's a- this is an AI question, right? And so if we don't know in the second industrial age that Jane Adams was doing wise community with data science, with the Hull House in Industrial Chicago. How do you include everyone, preschool and arts and all these things? And she had extraordinary data uh, with a colleague, Florence, around what was the livelihood, the wages, you know, pay gap type ideas. They were working on all these things. But if you don't know Jane Adams or you don't know Ida B. Wells, Ida B. Wells at the time, really you could see her as almost a uh, Black Lives Matter data scientist of the 1800s. Who was working on uh, the Red Record, which won the Pulitzer Prize yes. two years ago from a hundred oh years God. ago, right? And Ida and Frederick Douglass protested the Chicago. Ida and Frederick Douglass protested the Chicago World's Fair in 1892 because there was not allowed to be an African American pavilion. That's amazing. Twenty-five, That's years, just 25 years after enslavement. Yeah, we have a list from them on the internet. Of all the inventors and sculptors, Edwina Edmoni lewis just got a stamp. She's like a Michelangelo, Native American, ah. African American woman sculptor who trained in Rome. Uh, so why didn't we get to see them? And I will, see, I will share that I think that we don't know them is why when we go to the Consumer Electronics Show, the stage is totally imbalanced. Yes. It's not, yeah, you're right. yeah, not a pipeline problem. This is a culture problem. Yep. And it's, you know, hundreds of years
0: in the making, actually, just based on everything. That, I mean, just fascinating, actually, in, in a, just just fascinating in a, in, some, in, a, in a pretty upsetting way, fascinating.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Jane Addams won the Nobel Peace Prize for inventing social work, really, and her okay. leadership there. But if I go to, as a U.S. CTO, if I went to Health and Human Services, an amazing agency, trillion-dollar agency, and I go to maybe the National Institute of Health and go to the precision medicine meeting, I would be expected and people would say, okay, let's get started. Of course we're going to use data science and medicine right. and all these things. But if I go down the virtual hall to human services, uh, maybe I would go to the foster care meeting. In those days, you know, even today, this idea of civic tech, people might not expect me. They'd be like, Well, my computer's working. Why, you know, why are you right. and right. I'm on the board of a, an incredible foster care tech nonprofit called Think of Us. You know, how can we use digital technologies to support these young people who are going through so much trauma um, to have digital tools where we're supporting them, design thinking them at the center. Uh, yeah. You know, the way that some of the, the greatest tech companies might do in their design thinking for consumer services or customer service. Right. How do I mean, you t- think the whole thing?
0: I mean, two things that just are so you just really resonated with me, really. I mean, one is just what you were just saying, how the the types of problems we choose to put the best tech on you know, actually, you know, you know, there's, there's, there's bias even in that. And then obviously some of those, a lot of the social environmental issues, et cetera, fall behind because we're not applying the best tech and the best tech minds and tools. And that's, you know, so interesting. Uh, um, and, and just something we should really, obviously as a society, really, really think about and hopefully as a, a you know, a, you know, having had some experience in government, you know, that's something that's front and center and, and, and we can actually change that uh, the other thing, just that really resonates, is you know, as the first woman uh, CFO for Bank of New York Mellon, uh, and we've been around for well in excess of 230 years. I wonder how many very well qualified other women could have done this job in over that period of time, but for various reasons, just we're not, you know, we're we're we're, uh, were not chosen. So very
1: very interesting. Yeah, it's really important to see this this history bias as we're talking about because it's almost like if we can see that it changes today and the future. Uh, because as you said, we, we can see the technology would be for anything we imagine it could be for. Uh, we can bring more children into, um, you know, mm. one of the things I, I feel like technology in its greatest form is actually about love. It's about obsessive curiosity, like how does the universe work? What's with this yeah. Like all the things you can think, imagine yourself as a child in those moments, you know, when you're like, what, wait, what? we continue that discovery this amazing you know wonder right the second one to me is really ingenuity which is engineering and in the in its greatest form it's about service solving problems with and for each other and and the last one is the last one is really about um you know teamwork and community you know doing this together again a team sport and how much fun it is to work together uh to solve problems and if we can do that, and stop biasing ourselves about who's supposed to do it and who's mm-hmm. supposed to be on the team, and 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 fix our history so that we can see that everybody's been at the table the whole time, uh, you know, even if uh, they had to really struggle to be included, um, but they found some way and just lift them up as our proof point. We have the chance to work sometimes with the Polynesian Voyaging Society, the Hōkūle'a. Um, think mm-hmm. of Moana. You know the the one of the Disney movie. My friend I know he often says Polynesia. It's like a continent, but we have a lot of water. So <laughs> these, these are the people who figured out how to sail with no instruments and just use the planet. And we hosted them on on the White House Astronomy Night with President Obama. Um, and we had both the NASA Commercial Crew in the Rose Garden and our most uh, ancient and modern that's amazing the navigators. The the they were there. In the Rose Garden, showing the the star compass, which is just observation of your world and figuring out which to go, which way to go. So understanding that technology is is um you know this possibility for all of us and the solutions we would make.
0: I I I the insights there, and just also how to think about science and technology as a means for you know ingenuity and inclusion and uh uh you know ultimately uh you know teamwork is just, you know, it's a whole, a whole nother side that, that a lot of us don't even really think about. Uh, As a follow-up, you know, we're talking about your time as this chief technology officer of the United States. Obviously diversity, uh, you know, in, in recruitment was a very big priority of yours and countless studies, as we all know, suggest that diverse teams are just playing out better for business. So what strategies would you actually recommend to leaders who want to proactively identify and retain the best talent of all backgrounds? Like what are
1: some concrete things they can do? Yeah, there's there's a lot of things. And actually to that question, it's always interesting to me that we haven't shared our best practices and capabilities as effectively across organizations as we do on other topics. And so first off is leadership with a capital L you know if the leaders are paying attention to this and understand that this will make a huge difference in their bottom line in their effectiveness and the creativity and the quality of their products understand that and then really manage the team coach the team inspire the team to find the capabilities and share them faster i love to use a, a, a sort of a thing i call scout and scale uh venture capitalists don't make the companies they find amazing people and they accelerate them, right? So the same move, like venture catalyze. how do you find things that are already either working or promising and lift them up faster, share them faster, and also like not wasting time if there are things that are less effective? I mean, people have an extraordinary amount of programs that they're running, but some of them are just aren't as effective as they could be. And so kind of willow will that, you know, sort of get in there and, and kind of understand what's working, look at that. So one of the things we did was a woman named Laura Weidman Powers who had co-created Code 2040 in Silicon Valley. Again, find someone who knows what they're doing, ask them to come (laughs) help accelerate them. She came to our USCTO team and and we worked together on something we called raise the floor. We would find that we would go into meetings about DEI and only some people had practices. An example would be you'd be in a meeting and we're talking about these topics as it relates to adults and people would start talking about K12 education and pipeline. And so my my sort of thought of that is yes and. So what are we doing in our schools, K12, but what are we also doing with people right here and now? How are we creating more belonging? I'm on the board of MIT and they have actually structured the DEI strategic plan into belonging, advancement, composition, and infrastructure. And, you know, like all organizations, you know, people are have some practices that are good. They're building on the shoulders of giants. Um, My colleague Shirley Jackson says, you know, we're still in the first act of a two act play or multi act (laughs) play. You know, so we are building on shoulders and there's a lot to learn from. But also, can we share faster what works? And I would share of the raise the floor, which is on the Internet. Um, We looked at practices that leaders can do people across in management sort of advancement. Um, pipeline and ecosystems what are the practices what can you can you do and how do you measure that and there was an extraordinary amount of stuff that works that even though we don't know how to break all the ceilings we know how to do better at a minimum and I really encourage people to step into that the second one I'll add in which is in there employee resource groups which I know you guys uh, have uh, great mm-hmm. groups these are an asset for the executives some of the members of those group are executives some of them are not for executives to be an executive sponsor of an employee resource group. Uh, Lou Gerstner at IBM did this with the eight groups at IBM in the 90s. And he asked his executive team, how do you get more suppliers, customers, and employees from your group? And how do I help you thrive at IBM? And he gave Mm -hmm. money for the groups to come together and work on those problems and work with executives together. And extraordinary innovation came out of that. Uh, And it was a great way to kind of Let's call it community organize the innovation that was needed and move faster by, you know, tapping into the talent that already knew or had promising innovations. Wow um,
0: So I mean, just fascinating. Uh, so uh, a quick question for you, which is just more uh, it's very topical. So if you had a chance to serve under the current. US presidential administration, what would be your top strategic priorities to address some of the you know current challenges, of the tech landscape and how would you take advantage of some of the innovation that uh the innovations that
1: are there today Yeah the 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 team that we were embedded in uh, which is called the Office of Science Technology and Policy um is uh it it just first off it stands on the shoulders we were new with President Obama as the US Chief Technology Officer role I was as you said the third person in that role um and he created that job it's now in law and it continued through President Trump it's now with uh President uh Biden and this is not new that our leaders upgrade our capabilities. President Washington created the Corpse of Eng, which is the Army Corps of Engineers. you know President Lincoln created the National Science, uh, the National Academies, um, President uh, Roosevelt uh, with Vanover Bush out coming out of World War II, the you know the National Science Foundation, all of this science capability. So this is a longstanding American and governmental transit, you know tradition to try to bring the capabilities of the day forward in new forms. The CTO team is really how do you help the president and their team harness the power of data, innovation, and technology on behalf of the American people in the world. It's really a plus one job, you know. Like I was saying with, with uh, you know whether you're trying to innovate on uh, National Institute of Health and precision medicine or foster care, the people in those teams know those topics, and they are connected to the American people through our amazing you know government contractors and and suppliers and the whole capability of our country. So you're trying to add new ways of doing things. You know, we brought the first U.S. chief data scientist, creating a rubric, uh, a data cabinet, you know, getting the data scientists across government, working with each other. You know, our NASA team's pretty good at data <laughs> science. right? You know a team, pretty good at data science. Can they help the State Department? Can they help the Department of Labor? I have a rubric of what it would look like if the Bureau of Labor Statistics, as they upgrade to more modern real-time data science, you know, tapping into Glassdoor and LinkedIn and all these capabilities that we're seeing in industry uh, state, you know, as they've come to the cloud. You know, how do we how do we do that? So what we were pretty focuses on three areas. One is technology colleagues in the room when we're doing tech policy or policy that could include technology, just like we would have a lawyer, a communicator, an operator, a, a community organizer, whoever. So not having tech thought of as the help outside. Let me decide what to do and then go get you. Because the architecture, just like you would want a Surgeon General in the room, the architecture is going to be right if we have a broader set of seats at the table. And that was what President Obama and our follow-on presidents are doing, making sure those seats are there for a data scientist, an IT person, a technologist, together with the others. The second part we worked on, which uh, Todd Parker was CTO before me, um, as second CTO, and Anish had been doing policy, who was first, was delivery. How about more technical colleagues from private sector rotate into the government. And we also take technologists already in government and lift them up in, so that we can deliver. We don't want all of the government built by people inside the government. We right. want to have our amazing contractors. That's why we have these wonderful industries. But if we're choosing what to purchase, it'd be better to have someone fluent. It's a language. And then we can buy something cheaper, better, more incredible. Also, things like the, the federal IT budgets a large amount of it goes to matching with the states. So we have open source. So why wouldn't we try to do more reference design work so we don't need 50 different versions per state or plus territories 56. We, we could have one central or a bunch of different versions and you could tap in and do the last 20% and not, you know, not waste so much money uh, and so much time and make it better for the American people you know, it should be as easy as using an app to sign up for, especially for our most vulnerable Americans, you know, and for children, things like this. So delivery, let's call that delivery with, with genius. And then co-creation. We did things like computer science for all, tech hire. Who already in the country has solved something? What are you doing? How do we invite you to the White House uh, with tech hire? Already people were using code boot camps to bring more Americans into these amazing tech jobs. We have so many jobs open. They pay three times average American salary. And there was St. Louis with launch code and you know uh Louisville with uh code Louisville with the mayor. So could we bring those groups together to share with he could share with other mayors? The the boot camps can share with other boot camps. Uh the employers VMware and Capital One were hiring and other people didn't know how to hire yet. Let's listen to them. Okay, how are you doing this? How are you training people who have three months or a year of training, not a full undergraduate degree? We need everybody. How do we do this? And then accelerate. Now, you know, it's the, it's normal to hire right, someone true. from a boot camp. But in those days, and so they'd call that kind of almost um, innovation nation work, we call it. Like, how do we organize ourselves by seeing who's already doing it and sharing faster in a community of practice? And we did a lot of that work. So I guess it's sort of a longer answer to your question, which is continue this push, this plus one push of adding teammates into the room who can accelerate each other's work. And use the most modern of tools to help the American people with whatever it is they're trying to achieve. As
0: I mean, some of that very much uh, you know rings true here as well at Bank of New York Mellon. So. Um, certainly getting you know practitioners from other industries as we think about building out data and analytics capabilities and really thinking about and we have been been extraordinarily successful in recruiting talent from some of the biggest tech companies you know and most innovative tech companies in the world and and that has really accelerated our our own journey uh, and certainly the co-creation too is something that we do embrace it's really core to our strategy. We have an open architecture strategy and part of really what we believe in is co-creation with the right partners uh, because that frankly makes us more nimble and able to really better serve our clients. So um, both of those things are, are extraordinarily true here.
1: Yeah, which you guys are doing and and broadening that out and most important, creating welcome, uh, you know, creating welcome and belonging so that people aren't, uh, there's a, there's sort of a challenge of things like the problem is everyone will go with the common knowledge, even if it's wrong. Yep. So you really have to figure out ways to listen to each other well. And and uh, as leaders, follow up when someone mentions something, you know, can you say more about that? You know, what do you all think about what she said or he said? Mm. You know, and get, get, help lift up the less known uh, points of view yep. because the key insights are deeply available to us if we can observe that they're there. And, and help support uh, the voicing of them.
0: And that goes straight to the heart of why diversity in a room is incredibly, incredibly important. You get different you know, different ways of thinking and different ways of solving problems and, and incredibly important. If I could just pivot uh, a, a bit to our investment management business, and, and uh, you may know that very recently uh, we released the Pathway to Inclusion Investment Report. Which really shows that um, you know the investment industry is ultimately failing to reach uh, and appeal to and engage women to the same degree as men. It's just it's just a fact based on the research. Uh, in fact, globally, as few as one in ten women feel they fully understand investing, and less than one uh, one third of women feel confident about investing some of their money. So, given all these statistics, and frankly, just the you know urgent need for better communication and engagement. Uh, what what do you see uh in, in terms of technology how how can technology be a catalyst to educating women and giving them the confidence to make decisions on their financial future?
1: Yeah, it's uh really applaud the the work that you guys have done on the study and it's uh it's really kind of the best of design thinking you've been diving in and and really trying to see the roots of why this is happening and talk to people. Um, you know, a lot of this, if we look, you know, again, at women's history, when we look in history, um, and it's so interesting that actually your I think your first customer is Eliza Hamilton. Alexander. Yes, it is. That's, yes. yes. That's incredible. <laughs> so it actually, some of this comes from some decisions of those times. You know, it's it's in uh, the founding of the country that we bias about who's going to be included. And that, you know, impacts finances. Uh one of the laws that that is relevant here that I had never heard of, and came across, um, is something called coverture, and mm-hmm. it's the concept that your your that women are their father's daughter, and then they are <laughs> their husband's wife, and so they don't exist legally as a person alone, and so you know the the challenge you know which which Eliza was subject to right so that means that, you know, we don't see until the 70s, the 1970s, that I think it's early 60s or 70s, that women are allowed to have a credit card in their own name. Or take out a mortgage. We're we're talking about property uh, laws. And so just to be excluded from that with the assumption, well, she doesn't need, we'll take care of her. You know, this is not helpful. And it's, (laughs) um, it's a, you know, deeply discriminatory and obviously, you know, the horrific challenges that people of color were facing um, on those early days, the Native American communities um, and genocide. So we have a lot of roots of things that are, are have caused people to come to the conclusions that they're having right now about whether they belong or not in certain conversations, whether it's for them. Um, and there's constant bias coming at us from media everywhere, TV commercials, etc. Uh, a friend of mine, um, actually, you know, the PC industry, even let's talk about tech. Um, as it came in, all the commercials just showed Dad and their son and <laughs> her, her brother had the computer in his room and she had to and he would lock his room so she'd go get a key to use it because it was assumed that you know it was for the boy, not the girl. So you know, we see this. So we just have to overcome this for many reasons. One it's just the right thing to do. The other is, you know, from a a business opportunity perspective, what an incredible group of customers Um, and what wonderful things that can happen as people come into empowerment um, in these areas. So we have to work together. I think that the, the main thing I do, as I said, like scout and scale, who already is making great strides in this area, even if it's nascent or emergent or in one region? You know, we do something with the United Nations called the Solutions Summit. And, uh, you know, the Sustainable Development Goals in 2015, the world ratified a set of goals for this 15 years. And uh, gender equality is one of them. Infrastructure, climate solutions, uh, peace and security, um, you know, food, hunger, poverty, all these challenges that we have. And there's indicators. One of the things we did uh, in partnership with uh, the UN, um, uh, one of my co-founders in Shift 7 was running the non-government liaison service. Um, from the uh, Secretary General, the Deputy Secretary General's office, was we put out an all call. Who is already solving these things? What are you doing? Do you have something working, something promising, something in a region? And the first year, we get 800 submissions in a few weeks oh. from all over the world. We did it for five years. We stopped with COVID. But in 2019, we got uh, 1,400 submissions from 100 because, countries in wow. three weeks.
2: You know, in an wow. open
1: call on the internet, the spreadsheet's still there. And then 400 of the people wanted to be on the selection committee. And so we were able to, you know, kind of Wikipediaize, crowdsource and team up and, and review together. And with a gender balance, geo balance, topic balance, racially balanced group of innovators who came uh, to the UN to present. And actually yesterday I spoke at a graduation of women texters, which is uh, DeVera had created from Nigeria a way to bring people into tech and women were graduating in that program from Kenya, Nigeria, Egypt, Ghana, and South Africa, they're spanning, you know, this coding boot camps. So, um, you know, this this opportunity to look for innovators who already are on the path and lift them Mm -hmm. up, venture catalyze, venture capitalize um, them, acceleration partner with, you know, be an acceleration partner with them, I think is a huge opportunity for everyone on any topic. And I would say this topic, there's probably some innovators out there, probably maybe some listening, you know, get in touch with you guys and say, here I am, I'm here, you know, I'm I'm here, I'm here, uh, and help accelerate them. I think that's the fastest way to move more rapidly.
0: I mean, just so many things in, in that are incredible in terms of the use of crowdsourcing to just get the ideas that were already in play. I mean, things that people were already working on. And then by virtue of our ability to use technology just to have a much more, um, you know, equitable way of evaluating and thinking through these ideas. So tech facilitating, you know, just better equality and better outcomes in so many ways.
1: Yeah, bringing these uh, cloud tools for open participatory processes. Uh, Susan Alsner, one of my co-founders, has really innovated that at, uh, at the UN and has brought it into some of our work.
0: We think a lot about that in terms of how, you know, recruiting, for example, and and you know how how do you um, really leverage technology and and actually, frankly, have more blind based recruiting. So and that just by default will mean, you know, that that you're um, you're leveling the playing field a lot more. Yeah. So, um, in many ways, your your current company, Shift Seven, embodies many of our values here at Bank of New York Mellon. So, you know, identifying and empowering new and often overlooked talent, democratizing their access to to people and to capital, uh, scaling brilliant ideas so that they benefit the whole society, just what we were just kind of
1: talking about. So what what actually inspired you to start Shift 7? Yeah, you know, if you look at a keyboard in, in most countries, Shift 7 means and, you know, ampersand. And it's really, we are more a bunch of methods and capabilities and we team up. Uh, So conceptually shift to 7 billion plus colleagues is the idea. And so a lot of times we're working in in three areas. One is um, kind of ecosystem teamwork. Kind of maybe the summary is y'all should meet each other. So (laughs) there's extraordinary people who could be working together and helping each other, communities of practice, these kinds of methods. And and working on that, whether it's our work in the UN Solutions Summit in partnership with them, we, we partnered with the MIT Solve team uh, the Standing Rock women um, were at MIT to receive award, and they wanted a partnership, and so we were able to catalyze the uh, Indigenous Communities Fellowship. So each year, seven or eight new extraordinary, talent, externally talented folks, um, many on reservations who are working on solar or um, you know energy solutions, food solutions, uh, community solutions, hard problems. How do you just help them? do that work and and come forward the way that uh, my colleagues in Silicon Valley were getting so much resourcing for their ideas. And it takes a network. So is there a network capable of seeing these talented folks? I'm on the board of Vital Voices. So um, that that group of women, um, Island Innovators who are in the front line of of climate, Uh, amazing solutions from folks there. So we do a lot of work on uh, teaming up with strong institutions to help them have these practices and team up to do that. And then a lot of work in like sprinting and piloting, you know, prototyping, you can sometimes get somewhere, you know, can you do 10 or 20% quickly to see what might be? Maybe this comes out of some of my Media Lab skills, you know, demo or die versus publish. <laughs> <laughs> was, was how they thought about Risk, it. What is it? Uh, fail quickly, right? That's a really important yeah. thing. Oh, you know, show uh, something and then iterate together. And then the third area, we really tried to team up with great storytellers. In the world. Um, you know, we did a, a great uh, a series that the Ford Foundation supported us on called uh 20 for 2020, teamed up with the Amy Poehler Smart Girls uh web team that has millions of followers and the female quotient teams, and just highlighted for the first 20 days of 2020 a, a woman, uh extraordinary accomplishments by women, some from 150 years ago, uh, some from um today. I would share just quickly. Two of them. One is the team that that found the that's solved the whooping cough vaccines. Yeah. Um, an amazing group from Michigan, uh, racially intersectional group of women, uh, just uh, and including one person who um, in, that, in that team they created DTAP, DTAP, which allows you to have uh, six shots instead of eighteen. It was DTP at the time, and it's been in, you know, improved since. When I think this is the thirties or forties, but also you know, as we landed on uh, Mars this year with, and now the helicopter's flying. One of the extraordinary things the JPL NASA team did was they included a small piece of the Wright Flyer. Just because the Wright brothers, you know, this idea of this (laughs) ability to fly on another planet comes from, you know, engineers' Their ability for what we're building on there, we're standing on their shoulders, right? Yeah, so I will share that there's two people missing in the story. There's there's, uh, Wilbur, Orville, Catherine, and Susan. Susan Wright was the mother of the Wright children, and uh, she was a mechanical genius. If you've ever seen the older movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, she's yes. like a dad building toys and things, and she taught the children design thinking, and, and she's wonderful. And so we have a story about her, and then of course her daughter Catherine, the, the French gave a medal to all three children for their innovations in flight, uh, and so Catherine, the youngest sister, was kind of like the COO. Of the Wright brothers, uh, <laughs> you know, and writer and teammate with her brothers uh, needs to be lifted too. If we know about their family right, and then when we land on Mars and we fly, then everyone can see, you know, that men and women have been doing things together for a very long time, even if some of us got evaporated in the history. <laughs> in the history books. Yeah. Um, well, oh, I, I I
0: honestly can't can't think of a better way to to end. And and actually, if I may, I just wanted to do a real quick lightning round with you. Um, just because we like to do this just for plain fun. So um I'll ask a couple of quick questions, whatever comes to mind first. So uh East Coast or West
1: Coast? Both. <laughs> in fact, and uh, everywhere in between. I'm like my dad was would always take us on all kinds of driving around, and we're just that's a that's a family value. My son is actually about to head out to drive across the country, so done it many times. It sounds like there's
0: just very adventurous spirit. Anywhere and
1: everywhere. What's the favorite, your most favorite book you've read recently? Wow. Um, Actually, a friend of mine just wrote a book um, from Buffalo, and uh, my friend Matt has written a book that will come out in the future called City Forward. And uh, he's in the Buffalo Niagara Medical Center, which is right next to my high school. Um, and what they've been working on trying to do is really, how do you community organize the city better to be inventive together and stop doing things at each other? So use anchor institutions he's talking about and our industry, whether universities, hospitals, whatever, that are in neighbors. But get the neighborhood teammates and the churches and, you know, everybody involved in this future for our city. Um, you know, my high school was racially balanced and wonderful a magnet school. And when I go to Buffalo later, it's really quite separated. And that that's so unfortunate and silly and uh so many talented people. And so these guys are getting it back. So I'd say to be a future read will okay. be. Successful. I'm gonna put that on
0: my list. Um, and last one, what well, who are the guests at your dream
1: dinner party? Oh wow. Uh there's so many people I'd love to talk with. Um, <laughs> sometimes it's it's the, you know, the this Gen Z that's coming towards us. Many of them, I got to work with Malala Yousafzai um, in the founding of the Malala Fund. Again, who's going to help us with girls' education? How about Malala and her team? Let's help her. Um, but I think about all the way through time. Uh, recently, I was watching a video about Hypatia. And, you know, most people have never heard of her, but... Um, one of the most genius mathematicians, you know, we know Archimedes, we know these mm-hmm. people. We don't know Hypatia, but she actually said that uh, math is uh, not the more arithmetic, geometry, uh, astronomy, but also music. And yeah. so, you know that 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 there's so much genius uh, that we could tap into. So I would think about some people from history who are less known. Um, you know, we talked about Ada Lovelace and Mary Shelley. Mary Shelley's mother wrote Vindication of the Rights of Women, um, Mary Wollstonecraft. You know, and we're not studying these things. Um, Ida B. Wells, I would love to talk to. She just was extraordinary. And, um, you know, really talking about transparency and openness, the way to right or wrong is turn a light of the truth upon it, which is the quote that opens the uh, African-American Smithsonian Museum here. So, you know, these wonderful people who, um, you know, Jane Addams, who were always... Uh, Always doing all this work, you know, the first woman to graduate from MIT where I got to go to school, uh, Ellen Swallow Richards started measuring the water, you know, and brought us sewage treatment and water treatment. And so, you know, these colleagues that we could hear from and know um, would be just amazing, both contemporary and past. It sounds like you have to have a few dinner parties. (laughs) parties. And in fact, there is a dinner party that my mom taught us about, which is... uh, a, an artist named Judy Chicago uh, in the 70s worked together with uh, women. I think the piece is now in the Brooklyn Museum. It's a triangular table and on each side are 13 women, prehistory, early history, and, and modern history. And they're seated and it's using women's technologies of crafts and embroidery and ceramics, a really amazing uh, piece, lifting all these women from history that we might not have known, you know, and and they're seated together. And on the floor on the triangular floor is a 999 names of women from history from all different dimensions medical and you know uh sort of activists and scientists and writers and and you know imagine they did that work in the 70s before the internet so they did in a tremendous job and you know and so that's kind of circles us back to the wiki gap. You know we were talked about you know the wikipedia gap. can we Really see it to be it for everyone, so that young, young our boys and girls have the most extraordinary role models. Um, and that dinner party, can we see it? And I'm really thankful to my mom for taking me when I was younger, my sister, to see that dinner party and know this, and maybe it's influenced me today in mm-hmm. ways that you know really matter.
0: I I can't thank you enough, Megan, for uh, spending the time with us. I mean, it's been such an inspiring and thought-provoking conversation. I personally have learned a lot. I have a reading list now and and a lot of things that I I have a lot of curiosity about. So uh, thank you so much. And I hope everyone out there also enjoyed this. Uh, Thanks again uh, for your time. And I'm Emily Portney, and this is uh, Bank of New York Mellon Perspective. So thanks for listening. Thanks, Emily.
2: Hi, everyone. This is Garrett Marquis, Global Head of External Communications here at BNY Mellon. Thanks for joining. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Keep listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Most importantly, and if you're willing, leave a review or rating and tell us your feedback. You can find us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, bnymellon.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at the next episode. BNY Mellon is the corporate brand of the Bank of New York Mellon Corporation and may be used to reference the corporation as a whole and or its various subsidiaries generally. This material does not constitute a recommendation by BNY Mellon of any kind. The information herein is not intended to provide tax, legal, investment, accounting, financial, or other professional advice on any matter and should not be used or relied upon as such. The views expressed within this material are those of the contributors and not necessarily those of BNY Mellon. BNY Mellon has not independently verified the information contained in this material and makes no representation as to the accuracy, completeness, timeliness, merchantability, or fitness for a specific purpose of the information provided in this material. BNY Mellon assumes no direct or consequential liability for any errors in or reliance upon this material. This material may not be reproduced or disseminated in any form without the prior written permission of BNY Mellon. Trademarks, logos, and other intellectual property marks belong to their respective owners. Copyright 2022, the Bank of New York Mellon Corporation. Member FDIC. All rights reserved.